Welcome back to the Modern Cop Podcast. Do you know how many times I almost say the old name of my uh, of my podcast, which is right here, because <laughs> I keep looking at it. Uh, special episode today. I've got guests in studio, guests on Instagram Live. We are going to be diving into recruiting and retention. It's an issue everywhere. Um, you got three of us here from uh, Arizona. I'm a city cop. Uh, with me is uh, Chief Deputy Matt Thomas, um, County Cop. County Cop. Uh, we've got uh, we've got Andrew, who's uh, over on the federal side, and uh, and Mike, who's up in Canada. And some people might be jumping in and out uh, of the conversation uh, as well. There were going to be a few more folks joining us, uh, but life does indeed happen. Uh, so we won't hold it against them. More bourbon for Matt and I. Uh, Mike, how's things going up in Canada, brother? Fantastic. We got, we'll say, 85 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, so it's fantastic out right now. Vancouver Island is beautiful, as always. It's uh, tropical north. Uh, we call it Hawaii of the north, and it's, uh, it's gorgeous right now. So no complaints way up here. 85 degrees in Canada doesn't seem to compute. I didn't think Canada got over, like, 55. <laughs> A tropical island, tropical island. And Andrew, though, you are uh, uh, here in Arizona. Well, you are normally here in Arizona. You are actually probably mm-hmm. closer to Mike than you are to us. Uh, you're hanging out, joining us uh, from uh, from some much-needed time away from work, I hope. And thank you for coming in, man. But how's things? Uh, how's the weather up there? Well, it was really nice. We had, uh, we had some rain uh, blow through earlier today. And I, I don't even know what that looks like anymore because apparently monsoon was canceled this year. Um, but uh, it got postponed. Yeah, so I'm out in like a in the north woods of Michigan on like a screened in porch, and it's like 57 degrees and glorious right now. Oh, that's awesome. beautiful. Did we speak up? No, you're good, bro. Uh, no, you're good. Somebody was uh, was wanting to to join in here. Hang on. Okay. Oh, hey. Oh hey, Texas Law Dog, how's things, brother? Shit, son. It is going, man. Can you hear me? Yeah, your seatbelt thing's dinging off because your uh, your Tahoe's mad at you. Uh, yeah, yeah, some bit. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's 106 here. Oh, you guys and, are cool. Uh, it, yeah, it's cooling off today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we it's it's a uh, been one of those days already, but. On days off, about to head back to my my neck of the woods. And uh, and uh, Mr. Texas Law Dog coming in uh, from West Texas, um, big white tail. Uh, I believe the uh, the least populous county. No, hang on. You have the fewest registered voters. Isn't that it? Isn't that your claim to fame? It's on your challenge coin. It's over allegedly, here. Allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so I have the uh, least populated county in the in the lower forty eight. I have 54 registered voters. Holy smokes. Um, and 108 uh, voted, I, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i got 108 people that actually voted. Uh, but I've got a daytime population of about 5,000 to 10,000 with the uh, oil and gas industry. So, Well, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and... Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry about that. No, no. It's a, kind of a different kind of lookout on, on stuff down here. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the point of, of this episode today is just to get all these different viewpoints, man. And like I said, uh, people will jump in and out of the conversation as they're uh, as they free up and, and have time to. Uh, There's some folks out in California, uh, my buddy Adam over in uh, uh, Virginia as well. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. No, and we're going to have to jump up and look at the comments every now and then because my phone is too far away and my LASIK surgery uh, 
was done a long time ago. So, but uh, recruiting and retention. Mm. It's an interesting topic. Uh, Mike, you and I are both moving into the land of recruiting now as we move into our new positions within our departments. Um, uh, Matt's coming at us with how many years you got on, Matt? 30. 30 30 years of experience. Uh, Andrew's coming at us uh, from the federal side. Every single one of us, I don't know of an agency in the Western world uh, that is not having issues with recruiting the new batch, right? Once upon a time, uh, it was, uh, you know what, being a cop is a good job, get a good pension. But now with the, at least in Arizona, we've got this whacked out tier system. Uh, and if you're a tier three employee, which is pretty much where they're at now, um, it's, it's just not making a whole hell of a lot of sense anymore. But let's start with um, the, uh, the elephant in the room, uh, which I think is retention. Uh, and I think all of us have seen from our own agencies, uh, be it a uh, state, local, county, federal, uh, um, uh, even our agencies out in, uh, out in Canada as well. Uh, the, the blue flu people leaving in droves, good cops, uh, leaving to go find work, uh, elsewhere. It, it's not even that they're moving into multi-million dollar private sector work. It's that they're just getting the hell out of, of law enforcement. Um, so I'm going to kind of go round, round Robin as it were, um, uh, with just as I can see people on, on the screen, but, um, uh, Mike, if you would, man, give us a little bit of rundown as far as what we're uh, seeing out in Canada. Well, I mean, you know, you bring up a really good point there that we're obviously looking at a big retention issue. I mean, uh, like I was kind of thinking about it earlier, getting really wrapped up for uh, coming on to the podcast here with you guys. And now I kept thinking, we always think about the difference between Canada and the United States. We start thinking about the difference in the agencies, the difference in the different types of tiers and policing. And I think that realistically, in the North American setting, we don't see anything really that different. You really don't. Yes, we have some isolated areas. Yes, we have those different types of policing styles that are different types of criminal justice systems. But when it comes to retention, we're dealing with the exact same problem. We're continuing to see that members are starting, well, we call them members, within the agency that I work for, obviously the National Police Agency that, that here in Canada, we call ourselves members, but officers across Canada are seeing this same issue is that we're trying to retain our talent. We're trying to retain our knowledgeable members and officers and our experienced people to continue doing this job. Now, we're starting to see a little bit more of retention over the years, but it's just keeping those numbers up is the biggest problem. And on top of that, we're not only just seeing officers leave the field of policing because let me tell you you guys have an extremely dangerous environment that you work in and when we look at it from canada we look at it as an extreme environment environment to our south but we are starting to see a more and more dangerous work environment here in canada so in that front we not only see people leaving the agencies and leaving the profession but we're also just seeing more movement within our agencies because obviously we have world name out of police here in canada we have our municipal and provincial police agencies that are here as well. Obviously, the difference there is just the difference between your state and your city police agencies. We don't have county agencies, but we're trying to hold members and officers in the actual agencies. We don't have this issue of trying to backfill positions like you probably see there everywhere else. But that's kind of the landscape that we're really seeing in Canada right now. And and so I, I think what you're uh, what you're getting at is that our, our our problems are all very, very, uh, uh, similar. Um, and I do see just as a, as a, an aside real quick, um, uh, 
Texas Law Dog, do me a favor, hit your mute button. Just we're getting some background from your uh, your drive. Uh, but once uh, once we come to you, I'll have you hit the unmute button. And then Adam, Deputy Dangerous, I see you trying to get in there, man. I think I've hit my limit on people able to log into IG Live right now. So I'll get you on in a, in just a few minutes, brother. Just uh, bear with us. Um, but you're right. We do look at Canada and the United States as two vastly different areas, two, two separate countries, right? I've got to have a passport uh, uh, to get up there. Uh, I have to go. Yeah, uh, go. Me driver's license now. It's passport. Now right? it's passport. And you know what? And Mike, there they go, crunching on our freedoms just that much more. I should be able to come up to fucking Canada whenever I want to. <laughs> well, I it used you... to be. I, like I said, I I grew up on the New York State border. We used to go over literally every single week. We were over in New York State. We were over in either Buffalo or Niagara Falls, New York. It's where I got my groceries from. We always say. We all grow up over six feet tall because we all had the good milk coming out and cheese coming out of the state. And let me tell you, I grew up on Hostess. So, you know what? I have a lot to thank the United States for, but I'll tell you one thing, this whole passport system, I wasn't a big fan of it. It makes it a little bit more difficult to come over, see you guys, brothers and sisters down south. But, uh, yeah, it is what it is. But like you're saying, it is completely mirrored. When people think about the difference between the two agencies, especially when it comes to recruiting and retention, we are identical. When I talk to people from the United States, it's continuously seeing the exact same things. We are just mirrored. It is just a funny line separates us. We're very similar. We're cousins, whatever they say, we're cousins. It is the exact same thing. We're seeing the same problems. Right, right. And you, and you talk to to our brothers and sisters over uh, over in England, for example. I've got a couple friends that are in law enforcement uh, over in England. And again, the problems are, are all the same. Uh, waves upon waves of officers leaving the profession um, with uh, not a whole lot of, uh, of people trying to come through the door. Man, once upon a time, our profession, you used to fill entire conference centers uh, with, with testing and, and applicants. I think when I tested in 2015 uh, and 2016, I think there were like 700 applicants. Um, and now agencies are, we're lucky to get 50 people, 50 people through the, uh, through the door. Um, uh, what about, uh, uh, Andrew, I'm gonna have you talk a, a little bit on the federal side, man. What, uh, what do you guys see there again? Is it, is it mirrored? Is there, is it its own differences? Um, uh, what do you go? What do you got? So there's a, there's a couple of things that make it, uh, a little bit different. And, um, probably one of the biggest things from the federal side is, um, colloquially here in the United States, we use the phrase, Oh, that'll take an act of Congress. Right. I mean, colloquially speaking, that means it's an impossibility. Right. But like any change, a lot of times does take an act of Congress. Uh, so in, in order to uh, really rectify some of these issues, some of these root causes, um, uh, bottlenecks in hiring and whatever, um, like you're really looking at um, having to move the entire federal bureaucracy. And as a result, uh, I, I think we're probably, especially now with a, uh, an applicant's market and law enforcement, like we're getting beat to the punch by a lot of far more mobile or flexible uh, state and local agencies, right? Um, because, uh, you know, uh, like you and I have talked about different tactics that um, local agencies in Arizona might adopt in order to make themselves more appealing um, to guys who are looking to get out of uh, the federal system or whatever. Um, but I, I can guarantee you that there's there, that the inverse is not true. Like there's no flexibility on the federal side to, um, to try and draw in and there's really not a whole lot of uh, 
flexibility, all the re, uh, retention efforts are also very, very, very slow, uh, very slow moving. Um, and there's also, there's also just a greater distance between whether it's, um, you know, stations or field offices or whatever, like all these, all these, uh, sub entities that are having the actual staffing problems, there's a greater distance between them and DC than there is between your precinct and city council. Um, so there's, there's also the fact that a lot of, um, a lot of federal law enforcement got a real shot in the arm. Um, I mean, DHS itself is turning 20 this year. And that happens to be like, uh, one of the, one of the landmarks that you can hit for getting out. Right. So, um, different, uh, different agencies that all of a sudden came to be basically overnight under HSI, they're turning 20. And all those guys who maybe had a few years of law enforcement service prior to going over to DHS, they're hitting 20 years with DHS and guess what, you know, and they're able to pull the plug. So like all these different factors is uh, like, we, we definitely have a challenge and I think we have um, less flexibility and um, yeah, less like the flexibility to, to meet those challenges. So we're, we're hurting too. Sure. That, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think, uh, uh, I mean, I know when I was looking at becoming a cop, man, I, I looked at federal agencies. I've got friends uh, that I work with who have looked at federal agencies. Some of them have, have gone to those, those agencies, but you do come, come to the point where you work in, in local city policing for so long, uh, for any amount of time. And you start to settle down roots, right? Like I've got a house here. My kid goes to school here. My wife and I got married here. Um, you know, Hey, Diplomatic Security Service, DHS, ICE, uh, border, Protre- border Protection, whomever, uh, FBI, whatever uh, federal agency I might go and work for. Hey, can I come back to the Phoenix field office? Well, there's there's no guarantee of that by any means. Um, uh, you know, well, Phoenix so, isn't where you're needed, right? And that and that kind of hits to like the the, the sep- second topic that I wanted to kind of bring up. Um, for your, your broader audience in terms of the differences between the federal system. Um, not speaking, you know, I'm, I'm not a recruiter, not speaking officially or whatever, but, um, you know, someone who's been through the process and, you know, to get my current position and, you know, been it, familiar with process for other positions and stuff like it's a, the, the hiring process is a very slow moving machine and it's, it's also very inflexible. Um, you know, to, to get on with my current job, uh, it was, it was two years, you know, and, um, I know that the hiring process for some state and local agencies can kind of stretch out, but like, I'm not sure anybody, anybody else just is, is looking that long. Um, and then when you get to the end of it, you know, like in two years, your life can change a lot. And kind of what you were saying in terms of, in terms of location, like, um, I've, I've got, you know, there's, there's so many stories I've heard of guys who, you know, they'll have multiple irons in the fire because that's kind of the only way to do it. Like you get started, you have multiple irons in the fire and then the agency that you really wanted, man, um, they call you second or third after you've already started an academy, you know, so, uh, and then it's like up to the, the different locations. Like if you've already, you know, put a down payment on a house or, you know, 
I mean, at one point in my career before I got on with my current agency, I basically just given it up for lost. I'm like, well, they'll, they'll eventually call me. And I, you know, I was, I was working at Chipotle. I was fixing to manage Chipotle. So, <laughs> um, yeah, just, uh, the, the, the process itself is, is slow moving and, um, it can be very opaque sometimes. And, uh, I guess if there was something that I wanted to, to pass on to your audience in, in general, um, especially for uh, prospective applicants on the federal side is really kind of dig down into the, the fine print and then just be patient. Like it really is an involved process. And, um, you know, just, uh, just, just stick with it. You know, don't expect it to show up for you overnight, but stick with it because uh, we do need the help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Tex, you're up, man. Um, we're working in such a, 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 a um, remote area like you said you you've got the uh the fewest registered voters of any county in the united states but such a a large daytime population first of all if you would please i know you and i met in dallas last year at the crimes against uh, when i was at the crimes against children conference uh do introduce yourself though for everybody so they can know uh, we we really only use first names on here uh matt's an administrator so we get to use both of his names and he's a published author and all that good stuff <laughs> but uh but if you would man introduce yourself and and uh, give us a little bit of rundown about your agency, man. I mean, how many, how many sworn you got? And then, um, the challenges that you face with, I imagine, so a very limited number of, uh, of deputies available to you. Yeah. Um, so my name is, y'all can just call me Clint. Um, that that's what everybody else tries to call me. <laughs> uh, we, my agency is, We've got seven sworn sheriff, chief deputy, five deputies. Um, Damn, so we're, nice. we're 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 really we're, we're a small agency. We are growing. Uh, we're wanting to add more deputies over the time. We work a we work a very interesting type of schedule. We work twenty days on, ten days off. Uh, we mimic an oil field type scheduling. Uh, a lot of those guys work two weeks on, two weeks off, so many days on, so many days off. Um, most of my deputies do not reside in the county in which they live in. Uh, we all have either rent properties or we have been put up in housing by the oil companies. Uh, so uh, most of us live far outside of where we work at. Uh, I actually live about four hours away. But whenever I'm there, I'm there. I'm there 24 hours on. We don't, uh, we're a 24 hour on call. Um, but, you know, we work a 10 hour shift every day. Um, and then we get some, some breaks in there every now and then. Um, I've, got, I've got a little bit less than 11 years on the street. Prior to that, I was in county jail. Um, always worked rural sheriff's offices in the state of Texas. Um, and have gradually grown from making nine dollars an hour as a jailer deputy dispatcher to uh to to being at one of the highest paid sheriff's offices in the state of texas now um our problem with retention is is you know is our location and this is and this is with every rural agency i know i just got back from texas sheriff's conference 
and um, we're we're having everybody's having the same issues. Um, the, the the big agencies, you know, Travis County, which is Austin, Dallas County, Tarrant County, you know, they're hundreds of jailers short for their county jails, which whenever you have hundreds of jailers short, that means that you're pulling deputies off the street to cover medical transports, um, mental health transports, uh, to pull bailiff duties. So you, so you're running short. There, there's a massive amounts of overtime being spent. Um, but at the same time, we're one of the states that's looked at as being law enforcement friendly, like Florida, and like Arizona. You know, you know, there, there's there's cops. Cops are like, oh man, y'all can still be cops down there. Well, that's compared to California and New York. Yeah, sure. Um, but and, and so we're seeing a lot of officers coming from California, from New York, from the Northeast that are coming to agencies down here because, uh, you know, you can buy a house in uh, in, uh, in some parts of uh, Dallas, Texas, and, and some of those surrounding communities, you know, a three-bedroom, two-bedroom house run you two hundred and ten to $350,000. And in some places where they're at, you can't touch an apartment to that. Right, uh, and, and they're still and they're still making fifty thousand dollars a year. Um, I, I'll tell you this right now: Texas Highway Patrol, um, our state our state policing entity, our Highway Patrol, they are the uh, the main patrolling arm of the Texas Department of Public Safety. Those guys, they are a thousand troopers short right now, um, and they, you know, I mean, they start their troopers off at like. Sixty-eight, seventy thousand dollars a year, but we have problems with our cities and with the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, you know, our governor has 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 put highway patrol. You know, I, I tell him, I said, when are y'all going to put a green stripe on those black and white units? Because y'all practically BP. Um, they're, they're down there with border patrol agents uh, running that that gauntlet. And so you have you have guys that are becoming highway patrolmen that want to go back to their communities and want to be highway patrolmen. They want to go out, catch drugs, catch this, catch that. They never wanted to be sent to the border to an area where they're not familiar with. They're probably not fluent in Spanish, and and they're in smuggling. You name it, it's going. This is that we're so having mass deployments of troopers to the, the defunding efforts from the local government there to their own police department. Uh, the governor has sent in troopers to assist uh, Austin PD with their spiking crime rates and response times. Hmm. And there are troopers. There are troopers out there that are legitimate refusing and getting written up for disobeying orders because they don't want to go to Travis County because the district attorney there, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, it's open, it's, it's open season on cops. Right. They just put in, they just put in a ban. Uh, they said, if you use a less lethal shotgun uh, in Travis County, 
you will be indicted for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, and if, and if you oh, and if you used it during the George Floyd riots, or you've ever deployed one, we're going to go back and look for those cases and and reinvestigate those for uh, possible charges. So the Austin Police Department just pulled all their less lethal shotguns off the street. I said, well, pretty soon, <laughs> you know, it's going to it's going to show up, and you know, well. Uh, let let them do whatever they're going to do, or however that's going to happen. I don't know, but I I know that there's a lot of troopers that are balking this these uh, these massive transfers. Sure. So with so that that's at our state level, at our local level, and our county level, it's just like y'all. We we we're having the same issues. The rural places, Texas just passed a Senate bill. And it goes into effect after the comptroller's office gets some grant guidelines out there. That's going to raise. That's going to make mandatory pay uh, for deputies uh, forty-five thousand dollars a year. Jailers will make forty thousand dollars a year, and all elected sheriffs will have to make at least seventy-five thousand dollars a year. <clears throat> and that's because you have guys that are working full-time deputy sheriffs, and they qualify for food stamps. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of $29,000 a year cop jobs in the state of Texas. And that's, uh, and so they're, they're really trying to, and with that, you get a $29,000 a year cop too. Right. You get a guy that, 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 uh, that may have barely passed an academy has a, has a long disciplinary history at other agencies and nobody's ever caught him up in anything. And so there, there's been a lot of a lot of pushback on stuff like that with uh, T. Cole with our licensing agency. So yeah, it, it, we, I, unfortunately, we repeat the same. We're kind of we're all repetitive in our in our same tone about what our issues are. But you know, the, I, I look at you know from the outside standpoint of not being in a major metro area. Um, you know, the the, the cities kind of put a drain on our local law and on our state assets. And then we, us with the U S Mexico border, you know, that's a, that's been a, that's been a problem ever since ever, you know, we've been fighting on the U S Mexico border since before the, you know, the American civil war. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, we have always had this issue uh, and it, over the past 50 years, you know, Reagan said he was going to fix it. Bush one said he was going to fix it. Clinton said he was going to fix it. Bush two said he was going to fix it. Obama was going to fix it. Trump was going to fix it. Biden said he's not going to fix it. And uh, and so, <clears throat> at least one of them was honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least one of them was honest. Um, so it, we've always had that issue. The problem is, is just is just the numbers of people and, and, and really how violent it's gotten down there and the proliferation of, of narcotics that isn't weed, isn't meth, isn't cocaine, you know, the fentanyl and all that type of stuff. You know, I got, I got, you know, I got guys that talk to me about that stuff all the time. Right. Um, but it, it, yeah, we're, we're, we're the same way. Gotcha. Uh, Andrew, I got your, uh, got your text, man. So I will, uh, let you get on with, uh, with your night. I know you're, uh, you're dragging a little bit. 
Um, I do appreciate you coming on. I'll uh, switch you out with uh, somebody's yeah, trying to yeah. somebody's trying to buzz through. I took a uh, took a red eye out from Arizona. Uh, oh God! Well, enjoy that so weather, bro. I got, well, I got to bring it in a little early tonight, but I get you, man. I appreciate the hell out of you coming on. Uh, when you get back in town, let me know, and uh, uh, I got a glass here with your name on it, man. Absolutely sounds good. All right, brother. While I get the uh, the next guest on, uh, uh, Matt, from an administrative standpoint, I mean, you're uh, the chief deputy at Pinal County Sheriff's Office here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. What issues are you guys uh, running into with uh, with retention? Is, is it an issue? Uh, you you and your sheriff uh, known nationally as as cops cops. Uh, you guys sort of set the gold standard for leadership as far as younger cops uh, and and your more even your more tenured officers are are concerned, but I, I am curious as to what your thoughts are. I mean, you're hearing from people all over the, uh, all over the place here. Uh, 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 we're good, dude. I don't know what these guys are talking about. Uh, <laughs> is there some kind of problem? I don't know about, I mean, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, well, first off, that's a huge compliment. Like if uh, I, I was, when I started this career, I just always wanted to be a good cop. So if I'm known as a good cop, that's good. Um, so for us on, uh, you know, I think we have a very good culture, very good environment here in Arizona overall, and uh, us particularly with the the American Sheriff, Mark Lamb, as our uh, leader of our agency. Um, we do we do pretty well. Uh, I'm going to pass on the Blantons right now. <laughs> uh, we do pretty well for recruiting, and uh, retention is, is unique because, uh, like, uh, one of the guys was saying about uh, kind of getting into the generational stuff. And, and we're at, uh, I, I always talk about, we, I really feel we're at a generational shift in law enforcement in the U.S. Uh, because we have, we have an older crew of cops uh, with a almost adult, almost as old as them crew of cops right behind them. So the ones that are 30, 35, even into 40 years on, some of those guys have held on for those amount of years and served a long time. And there's my crew of cops right behind them. I'm at 30 years and I'm still on. And then behind us is your like 20 year cops. And then you drop down significantly to like 10 year cops. And so there's these generations and that older generation is all starting to float out and leave. Um, And we have a lot of the younger generation stepping up. Uh, But the phenomenon is kind of complicated because of the generational differences, right? Between Gen Xers, Gen Zers, millennials, uh, because a lot of the Gen Xers are 20 or 25 and out. Um, the Gen Zers are kind of the same way. And then we're seeing uh, this new phenomenon where they're getting vested. And as soon as they're hitting vested, uh, like at 10 years, then they're saying I'm out. And they're just taking their retirement and bouncing. And then the tier three, I mean, there's no incentive because it's just a 401k. Right. And so there's no incentive to stay. So they could bounce at any time, take it with them off to their new job. Uh, so I think that plays into it a lot. And, and actually, um, the sheriffs right now are very united throughout our state. And they're trying to push legislation to correct the, the tier system and get it back to at least a, a tier two rather than a tier three and just get rid of that tier three because it's a hot mess. Um, and, uh, you know, tier one would be awesome. And so you have that problem. Uh, and then we also see, uh, for retention purposes, um, I think 
law enforcement leaders are doing a better job of paying attention to the wellness of our people. Uh, and I know us specifically, that's one of our focal points is uh, trying to make our people better, keep them well, uh, so that when they hit that retirement age, you know, they're, they're good to go. Sure. Um, but I, I think that's a new thing in law enforcement. So I don't think a lot of us do it well uh, throughout the country, um, but we're getting better at it. And uh, so that for, for retention purposes, I think we're getting better at retaining people. Uh, we're getting better at making them feel better, be better mentally, physically, everything so that they are happy with their job. They're happy where they're, they're working, you know, as happy as happy can be. Um, and then uh, for recruiting purposes, I think that carries over because for us, uh, like the, the best feedback I get is when I talk to a cop that's not associated with our agency and has really no motive and says, oh, I talked to some of your guys and they love it there. Right. That's a that's a huge win for me. Um, so if our if our people love the environment they're working in, and that's really the sheriff and I that we feel like that's our job is to make it easy for them to do their jobs and support them as best we can and uh, be behind them. And I think that sets the tone for recruiting, because uh, I can tell you, we get uh, for our agency, particularly we get guys coming there that are taking huge pay cuts and they're coming for the culture and the environment, not the pay. Um, and so I, I think that speaks volumes because, you know, you heard some of the stuff going on in Austin. Um, and I think that's why cops are leaving in droves because who the hell would want to work in a city where you're going to get prosecuted for doing your job? And I think it's the same in the military, right? You have right. top two to your uh, military guys that are just bouncing and leaving the military completely, although they're not really done, but they're done uh, because they don't want to get prosecuted for doing their job. And so... It's, it's like a perfect storm right now, and we're trying, internally, we're trying to fix it, uh, but you're fighting a machine because you're fighting a national narrative at a local level. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I've never heard it worded like that, and that is, that is absolutely brilliant, fighting that national narrative at a local level. I mean, I know some of the guys that I worked with have headed down to Pinal County to come and work for, for you and Sheriff Lamb, and the, the culture is what drove it down there. Right. Um, as well as uh, some of the other specialty opportunities. Um, uh, and, and the pay cut to them was of no object because, again, it came down to that happiness. That said, and I, by no means do I want to, to, to speak ill of my own agency, credit where credit is due, I often say that, that the things that I complain about at the city level, at least in my city, and I don't have the luxury of being able to talk about where I work on this show, um, those of you that know, I would just ask that you, you please uh, uh, keep that private. But uh, our complaints, at least in my city, uh, here, here in the Valley are very, very minor, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, compared with agencies like, like LAPD or San Francisco right. PD, Austin PD. I was in Austin last year. I mean, I, I said, I met Clint, uh, uh, around the Dallas crimes against children conference. Uh, I went and left Dallas, flew to Austin, met my wife there for a long weekend. Cause we wanted to go and check Austin out. And I watched a hand to hand, like a, a narc spy go down right in front of a Austin marked unit. And that officer, I felt bad for that guy because I know that that's not what he fucking signed up to do. He wanted to get out there, be a barrel chested crime fighter. And here he is like, Nope, if I, if I do anything, I'm, I'm totally screwed. You know, um, uh, I, I just don't, I, I have so much sympathy for the, for the people who have to, to work in those areas. Cause again, you, you put the badge on, you took the oath for a reason. And now, your reasoning is being stymied because the national narrative, however false it may be, oh, cops are going to abuse their power, oh, cops are this and that and the other thing, 
when in reality, the vast majority of us, and I do, I do truly mean 99.999 repeating percent of us got into this job for the right reasons. Adam, turn it over to you, man. Welcome aboard, Adam. Uh, and I got to share a couple beers at Police Week last year, not nice. not this most recent one. Um, Deputy Dangerous is his tag. Um, uh, but Adam, coming in from the East Coast, man, we're talking about uh, retention issues and what are uh, what are you seeing out there? Maybe. Adam's screen is frozen. Hang on. He might be trying to, <laughs> to come in right now. See if that gets Adam in here. Hey, there he is, Adam. <laughs> Your screen was frozen. I thought you were. I don't want to get. Go ahead, man. I thought I thought you were just uh, like a very intent listener, but your screen was frozen. No, try uh, for some reason it doesn't come through across my headphones. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Uh, and I don't know if you got right. my my whole dissertation. I, I teed this one up for you, man. With uh with uh us having drinks together out at uh, oh, police now week. Now my phone's playing music. Yeah, I can't do all this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what were you saying? So uh, coming in, though, from the East Coast perspective, man, with uh, with retention, um, that's where we're talking about retention before we get into the whole uh, whole long discussion on recruiting. Um, but uh, we're just kind of discussing what uh, what we're all seeing, finding that it's all very similar, no matter uh, uh, federal level, state, local uh, uh, out, of, out in Canada. But uh, uh, give us uh, give us a little bit of insight into uh, into your land. It's also similar. So for me, we're competing. We're county PD and county sheriff's office. So we're our numbers smaller. You know, we're like three hundred, but we're down a hundred, and they're like fifteen hundred down three hundred. But we're feeling it more. And and uh, I can't remember who was saying it. Maybe Andrew a minute ago. But the application process taking too oh, long. And I was yeah. thinking about that. We dropped our due to staffing, our hiring section to two <laughs> deputies so like they can't even keep up yeah and now it's i mean you know these these kids they don't have yeah they have their the applications out everywhere so it's whoever grabs them first so let's right. cut off our hand to help our leg right right well and, yeah, and agencies exactly. have have started moving i know my own agency for example where there were once sworn officers in hiring uh, we've now moved to non-sworn positions. However, the the silver lining to that is that each of the people that are currently in our hiring unit were police officers at, at one point in time, maybe just recently retired. They're coming from all over the country. Um, and so they bring uh, just a wealth of, of experience in there. There's really this global perspective when you get them all into a room. It, it, it can be pretty interesting to, to hear about uh, uh, their own times. But yeah, I get, you know, hey, we can't get people on the road so we're going to take the people who put the people on the road and put them on the road. <laughs> yeah. I just don't, just don't get it. Um, they, they teach it to it, you when you uh, get into admin. Oh, is that, is that one of those lobotomy <laughs> things <Yeah>. you get? <laughs> we're also struggling to just keep up with the trends. Like one time I was saying, like they're doing such a good job with, you know, coming for the culture and you're just creating such a good um, social media presence. And to our command staff still, social media is, like, so taboo. <laughs> it's yeah, a bad word. They're afraid like, of it, man. It, it really is, yeah. When I, when I like, went it, into my command interview, uh, when I was getting hired, I talked about the, 
the power of social media for the power of positivity, right? With social media and social media really has become this, it, it is, it, it's this taboo thing. And, and so many people think of the negative aspect of social media, but right now, if you're a law enforcement agency without a strong social media presence, you are behind the times, dude, Fargo, North Dakota released a recruiting video. They're fucking blowing agencies out of the water and it's Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah, no, no offense towards any of you listening in North Dakota. But when I think of like excellent social media and, and like high quality production value, I am terribly sorry to say that your agency just didn't really pique my mind. Um, but I have been humbled and, and been proven wrong. Um, and now you get these agencies willing to spend uh, six figures to produce some of these recruiting videos. However, Pinal County over here can launch people out of airplanes with parachutes. Uh, they did that for a stunt video a few years back. Yeah, April Fool's. <laughs> it was an April Fool's <laughs> joke. But even still, you, you do get agencies that are willing to be creative. Pinal County, you've been on the on the the trend of social media for several years now. Well, and and honestly, uh, Sheriff was uh, he got elected by social media. He was he he figured it out before he came into office, and that is really where he made uh, a lot of his ground up because he was running against an incumbent, essentially. The party was not in his uh, in his corner, and so he used social media. And so he knew coming in, um, and we had a plan. So he had, he had a good understanding of what social media could do because he has a marketing kind of background, you know, sales. Um, and then uh, that combined with the fact that I had an idea of what I wanted to do with, like, our, our PIO and, and videos and stuff, and we kind of mashed that all together. And uh, the one thing we're not afraid to do is just try new ideas, right? And and I think that's what a lot of uh, a lot we we hear a lot from chiefs, especially more than sheriffs, that oh I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You, you I mean, if you you're the chief, uh, and I know you answer to a council or a mayor, um, but if you truly want to be at the forefront, you've got to watch what social media is doing, and you have to treat it like a business more. And uh, say, like, how are we going to be at the forefront of this? And you have to be a little bit out there and you have to put yourself out there. And, and people want they, they like that genuine person behind the camera. And we found out that some of our, our best um, uh, that, you know, viral videos or whatever are just genuine things. And, and it's not a huge production to do it. We have two people on staff that, uh, and really one of them takes care of most of that stuff, like the Fridays with Frank and all that stuff. Uh, that person takes care of the filming, the editing. And a lot of it is just raw filming too, just, you know, filming with a phone and then sending it in for editing. And we're now, I'm proud to say we're third in the country on, uh, on Facebook, only behind New York PD and the FBI and the FBI owns the platform. So we can't beat them. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey, talk to a little bit about, uh, I mean, as you and I move into this, this world of, uh, of social media uh, and, and recruiting, I mean, I know that I've got to leverage social media for a force for good. Um, and as I've gone and talked to the officers that I work with, some of them are okay with it. Some of them aren't. Um, uh, you know, I, I certainly understand certain units. I'm not going to go film the narcotics unit who, who conduct undercover operations or vice or along, anything along those lines. Um but uh, uh, what are some of the challenges that you're facing up uh, with your national agency as far as um, uh, support for recruiting uh, and specifically the use of social media? Social media in general, you guys made a, made a fantastic point in that it really comes down to 
leadership. It comes down to the higher ranking guys that are guys and gals that are in charge of making those decisions, whether or not you are going to use the tool that is social media. What we're seeing now, and I have to give the credit where credit is due, is going to be, and I have to give the example of it, not sure if you guys have seen it, it is an international case, but if you look at the New Zealand National Police, I don't know if you guys have seen that video that they have out. It's probably you know, four years ago, pre-COVID and everything, they put out a video and they shot it, and it was, I don't know if you guys have seen it, A+. plus. It was a chase scene, but it was so good. If you guys haven't seen it, what I would suggest is, Getting on your phone right now and putting a little bookmark or a scribble on your hand and say, watch the New Zealand police recruiting video. I'm telling you right now, you watch that video, you come back to me and you say, hey, that was absolutely incredible. I think our agency could probably do this. So we're starting to see internationally some fantastic work being done on the front of recruitment with the use of social media. What we are seeing up in, well, it would be anywhere across the country of Canada is that a lot of the municipal policing agencies, because the lack of bureaucratic, you know, handshaking and, and you know, handholding, is that they really are embracing the tool that is social media. It really is. They're they're taking this by the by the nut, so to speak, I guess you would say, and really going for it, and they're really putting out some great products. Now, I have to give some examples on that. We see some fantastic work by the Vancouver City Police. We see some fantastic work being done by the Victoria Police here in British Columbia. But we have to go right across the board and looking at what Toronto Police is doing. They've completely adopted social media in general. What they've done is they've gone on all platforms. They've gone everywhere. Facebook, uh, you got Twitter, you've got Instagram. Yep. And on top of those, they're also going into podcasting. I mean, there's some controversy behind their podcasting that they created to be able to bring more people into the fold and as a recruiting technique. But they also go on the side of enforcement and awareness. We have Constable Shapiro that does a daily, like literally daily video for like three or four hours on traffic awareness. Now, I don't know about you guys. I mean, up here in Canada, you know, we always joke around that the traffic guys are like, Kind of the lower angle. You know, oh, the whoa, whoa, easy. Oh, oh shit. There's yeah, easy. I have to share a desk with a motor, and I, 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 there's a sharp object not yeah. too far from him. Bro, Please I'm a former motor. <laughs> Fighting words. I totally get it. You guys can throw donuts at me later. I totally get it. So, but on that front, they're able to gather what is, I would call, and I think I've actually seen the numbers on it. We hear about it. It's the number one watch social media, well, daily, I guess you would say. Video in Toronto, in the city of Toronto, we're talking about a city of three million. You know, greater Toronto area, you're looking at even more than I think you're almost up to five million. For Canada, that's a lot of people, and it's a lot of people tuning in. They have between ten thousand and like twelve thousand people viewing, like tuning in to watch on Instagram Live, and uh, I think it's uh, also on TikTok and wherever. Just you know, nationally speaking, fairly speaking, we're not allowed to use TikTok anymore, and I know that's the same with the FBI. They, they just kind of walked away from that because of the issues there. We're not going to talk about that. But they really do get the public coming in, and they really do want to see the product that law enforcement is putting out today. And it's not like we're seeing 20-year-olds doing it. Like, we always think that we have to see social media. We have to see the 20 and early 30-year-olds. I mean, now I'm starting to age myself in my, my late 30s, <laughs> almost 40 next year. Ooh, but man, you're getting up there. Why is it they always think that has to be that 20 year old or maybe it's senior management leadership is looking at it going, listen, I don't want to use social media because I don't want to see my 21 year old 
constable, like obviously that's a rank up here. I don't want to see our police constable at 21 years old going out there with their slick back hair and doing crazy stuff on TikTok because we can't trust them not to do that, right? right. But what they are seeing is in Constable Shapiro's case with the Toronto Police Service is you have a, a, an officer who has, I think it looks like up to 15, 20 years on. I've got 15 years on myself. And he's got a serious amount of experience there and he's pulling people in because what is he doing? He's interacting with the public. We're not hiding what this job is anymore. We're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Long gone are the days where the officers sit back and like kind of hang out in the shadows. Now we're out there. Now we're in the public. Now is when we should be putting out the best possible image for the job that we do. I mean, this is how we're going to pull in the public and the potential recruits into policing profession that you and I both personally love. And that's how we're going to do it. We need to do it with social media. And I think it hand in hand with a whole bunch of other techniques are really going to pull in the next generation because we were talking very briefly at the beginning about talking about that generational change. This is the generational change. Mm -hmm. This is what we're looking at. We really do have to hold on to social media, embrace it for what it is, use it in a professional manner so that we don't get fired. We all like our jobs. We like our paychecks. We (laughs) want to see our kids have food on the table. We want to keep our marriages. We need to be able to keep that going, but we have to do it in a safe way. And I think, like you guys are doing down there in Arizona, and I've seen some fantastic products coming out of Arizona, uh, as well as Border Patrol. I don't know what the temperature is there with Border Patrol, but some of the stuff that I'm seeing, and you guys are probably seeing as well, too, with their Instagram pages, man, they are leaps and bounds. And all you're doing is talking about an officer or somebody that's hired by the agency to go out there and hit play. Like, yeah. you can script out whatever you want. That's all you got to do. And just press play. Well, and, and guess what? People love it. And I think something we've learned uh, just by trial and error and getting into this this whole social media realm, and we have all of our channels. We have YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, IG, all that stuff. So we're hitting all the platforms. But what we've learned is that you have to appeal to the masses and you have to appeal to them on the platforms that they're consuming. So we could use you know whatever platform we're comfortable with we could use that all day long but if that's not where people are consuming then it is not going to help us and so we have to keep our finger on the pulse of what are people consuming and youtube for instance right youtube is huge the shorts the um the videos where you're you're putting out your content and that's the thing that chiefs and sheriffs and administrators need to understand is you're controlling the content you're doing the editing. You're you're putting out what content you want to put out. So even if you do have those 20-year-olds, you're still controlling the content because I think you have to show all facets, right? You have to show um, all the demographics in the law enforcement field. It's the older guys. It's the younger guys. It's the girls that are on SWAT. It's, you know, the canine, it, all that stuff. You have to show everything and just let people have a view into our world. And I, I just talked about this earlier today with a buddy of mine. I think we're in a transformation period of law enforcement where you are going to see us transform and, and we're in the process of it happening now. Um, and the older cops are not comfortable with it. The newer cops are kind of like, eh, I'm not sure, but here's what's going to happen. The community is going to get more and more involved in our business, in our day-to-day business, and rightfully so, because I think one thing that gets lost in police work really early because we become such cynical bastards, and I'm guilty as everybody else, we we shut ourselves off and, oh, no, you can't. It's a secretive world, and we'll, we'll give up tactics, and they'll know where I live, and it, 
dude, they know all that shit. They can find it everywhere, right? And so um, what we're doing is embracing that and saying, yeah, come into our world. Here's what it looks like. And we need more of you. We need help. There's, there's evil out there, and we need good guys to fight it. And by the way, before I forget, my man Eric is watching. Two cops, one donut. What's up, brother? Um, but I think to your point, we just we have to embrace it because it's happening, sweetheart. Like, it's happening. You just got to gotta understand it. You got to embrace it. And those that are doing it quicker and uh, and what you do is when you embrace it, you start figuring out because you get instant feedback right from your followers like that was stupid or that was cool. Um, and you figure out what they're liking by how many views you get, how much engagement you get. And again, it's much like a business. And so you understand very quickly what is hitting with your audience and what is not. And, and when you see something or find something that hits, then all right, let's keep going down that rabbit hole because that's the content they like. And, and that's the world we live in now. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, if I, if, if I can add something there as well too, Kev, when we're talking about that, especially when we're talking about making sure we grab eyes, that's all about grabbing eyes and being able to say like, where are the platforms they're using? Let's face the elephant in the room that happened three years ago, obviously during the incident down there in the States. What did we lose? What was the major grab? And it, let's be honest, it's not just the United States, but Canada as well, too. We lost cops and we lost live TV, which were two of the biggest producers when it came to bringing people into the career that had no connection to policing whatsoever. And it came mm-hmm. out what we ended up having back in the day was literally what was the worst version of, I, think, I can't even remember what it was called now. But it was a very knockoff version of cops, but it was very friendly. Uh, obviously, they're quite concerned Mounties, about eh? you know, getting a good. And, oh, it was, it was, I, it killed me. I can't remember what it was called now, but I watched a couple episodes of it and I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. But what we all watched in Canada growing up, and we have discussions about it all the time the briefing rooms, in the watch rooms, in the sub offices, satellite offices here with the different policing agencies, is how much we miss those types of shows. Because, like you said, it's they were showing the job. And what the agencies are doing such a good job of now media is they're doing exactly what you're saying about they were showing the job if we could just show the job but those people i mean let's face it this job is not for everybody we know that we don't want absolutely everybody doing this job we want the people that should be doing it to have the knowledge skills and abilities and have the morality and ethics behind it that should be in the position putting the badge on catch the bad guys doing what we want to be them to be doing but in that particular case, we want to be showing them what we actually, what they, what we want to show them. We want to show them the good stuff, the investigative side of it, and we want to bring more people in. I think that's uh, we're, we're just missing that now, and I'm ho- and I'm hoping to see more social media use in the future. And, and as we get these uh, these these new recruits through the door, Adam, if uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're out teaching right now um, as a uh, as a as a recruit training officer, or RTO, or, or whatever your agency uh, refers to you as. What are some? As I talk to our FTOs, man, I, I learned that that some of our recruits coming through the doors, they they look good on paper, they check all of the boxes, they knock it out of the park in the interview. But then week one, day one of the academy, they just don't want to get yelled at. They just don't like that doesn't even compute <laughs> to the point text, where where you have to you, text yeah. them. Right. You have to text them, and they, they, you know, um, yeah. and, and it's like you get into de, into defensive tactics, into DT and you get punched in the face and you're wearing you're wearing a helmet and a mouth guard. And then you're like, yeah, fuck this. I'm out. What is it, though? I am curious, though. What are you seeing in uh, in the world of, of teaching these these new kids that are I, I, 
Here, I always hated it when people refer to us as fucking kids in the academy. So I apologize. Man, I'm going to check I myself. Feel like they are kids. <laughs> yeah. But what is it that you're God, seeing dude. over over at the uh, at that that sort of gatekeeper level? Gosh, I mean, yeah, the social skills are are totally absent, and, and it's it's so funny. Like, I see it now. Like, I went through gosh, 13 years ago now, but like. When my class and the class, and I talked to other classes too, when they went through, like, you know, I, I don't know how else where you have like practicals for the training objectives yeah, for the yep. state. And like, we wanted to like compete with each other internally in our, in our recruit session yep. and like see who could do the best. Now they just are like very robotic, very like worried about the checkbox. Like, oh, I have to say this. I have to say this. Like, they don't think of it like a cop or like look beyond, you know, beyond the traffic stop or whatever the yep. scenario is. Um, they're totally missing that. And it's, yeah, it's just the, the pressure. I mean, we've had, we've had people leave and not come back just because of the minimal amount of PT. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, and it's a minimal amount. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I come back to, I, I, I struggle to understand when somebody's like, Oh, I didn't know that that was going to be, something that I had to do because you get agencies that do value social media, excuse me, who put that information out there. But there's, I want to say it was like LA County sheriffs uh, and probably other agencies, but I I think it was the LA County sheriff's office years ago, put out a video or uh, excuse me, a a series. It was like a television series all about the Academy. Academy It was called the Academy. Right. And it's just like, if I were to go and be a Navy seal, I would go back to that Discovery Channel documentary from 2002 or whatever because that's probably still somewhat accurate. In addition to, I can go on social media and find out everything I need to know. I can read a book. I can uh, I can go and talk to officers. I, I struggle with the excuse, quite frankly, is what it is, of, oh, well, I didn't know I was going to have to climb over a six-foot wall. Bro, how did you not know that that was going to be something? Hell, just use maybe some common sense, look around the area that you're policing in and go, oh shit, there's a fence over there. I might have to climb over that one day. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. um, uh, we, but, got of, we got rid of the six foot wall. Oh, you guys got, oh, well, fair. Enough. I'll eat my words on that one. We still have the six foot wall. <laughs> it was too tall. <laughs> it was too tall. Although I think we've added a step stool to it. Uh, we're going to make that a belt attachment. Yeah. A little tactical whoosh, belt attachment step stool. Yeah. Um, uh, but let's dive over into uh, continue not dive over, but continue into this this realm of of recruiting. I, I sort of had the thought the other day. I'm going to a recruiting event this weekend. Um, uh, I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to earn some overtime there. But um, getting people through the door, getting people reengaged in the idea of law enforcement. We talk about. Uh, you know, the the guys that have been doing it 20, 30 years and, and these sort of these master class patrol officers, and they truly are experts in their craft. And all they ever wanted to do was be a patrol officer. But now you've got guys. I, I wanted to be a detective from the time I was little. Right. And, and I have managed to achieve that goal. Um, but now I sit here and I'm going over into recruiting and retention after uh, what will likely be three years uh, of detective work. I'm moving into a, a vastly different 
uh, area of, of, uh, of work. Uh, you've got guys who come in and they're like, okay, I'll work my two, three years on the road, but I want to be a canine officer. Okay. I'll work my two, three years on the road. I want to go on to SWAT EOD, go into the air unit. If your agency is lucky enough to have one, God knows that that's where I'd like to be. Um, I want to go come do to Pinnell, come to Pinnell. I know you have a helicopter. Um, uh, my, some of my admin staff listen to this show. You might get an email tomorrow. So. <laughs> no, they know we're always recruiting. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I want to get into a mounted unit. I want to do this, that, or the other thing. I think it's important. Uh, you know, we talk about one of the ways to get people engaged or to open up those specialties uh, for the right people. You may have somebody who's um, maybe an okay patrol officer. Uh, but they are one of the best fucking investigators you've ever you've ever encountered. And they may, you know, you, as your maybe a supervisor notices that they they hone in on a certain type of investigation, um, opening up those opportunities for uh, for specialties, um, maybe a, a little bit earlier. I know we've all, you know, once upon a time, it was like, oh, you're not going to be a detective until you've got eight, 10, 12, 15 years on. Uh, and then here I come in, I didn't even have four years on and I moved into sex crimes and I've been there for three years uh, or, or coming up on three years. And now I'm going to be leaving sex crimes and moving into hiring. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm curious as to kind of everybody's uh, thoughts um, uh, on that. Uh, Matt, we'll, we'll, t- we'll start with you, man. I know that that Pinal County, you've got a, a lot of options over there from from your, your special investigations units, uh, sort of your, your, you've got persons, crimes and property crimes at cat who couldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, she and I work sort of the same side of the house. Um, you've got SWAT elements, you've got that air support unit. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on providing those specialty opportunities? I mean, you, you, you talk about millennials, we have to keep moving, right? I, I speak as a millennial, uh, that, that we just can't sit still. My thought process is to take advantage of that. Right. Uh, but I'm curious as to what uh, what you might think. Yeah, and so for us, uh, we allow uh, them to start testing for specialties as soon as they're off probation, and we kind of um, lowered that because, as you said, in the past, it's always been, uh, you know, you've had to be there for a long time as a patrol officer. You have to do all this time on patrol before you can jump into any specialties. Um, but now especially like laterals with laterals, uh, we've shortened their probation. Um, so they can get off probation in six months if they're, if they come over and, and, you know, they've proven they can do the work, uh, they'll get off in six months. So in a six month time frame, they could start testing for detectives or some of the specialties, canines, aviation, all that stuff. Um, and then we have some guys that have come and know they like they've come over as motors. So they've left an agency as a motor specifically to get back on a motor and uh, they're waiting six months to do that as a lateral. And then newbies, again, typically it's it's a year. So their year probation is up and then they're eligible to start testing because what we have found is uh, that old school mentality of uh, you've got to be tenured, this and that. It really, it, it doesn't play into that because we're putting them in a new role. They're going to learn that new role. They're going to learn the new techniques and we're, we're going to send them to schooling for all that. So they to test for that, they obviously have to show some aptitude because um, they're going through a competitive process. And if they show the aptitude for the, the basic job and now they're wanting to go into a specialty, well, we're going to teach them that new thing. So let's get them there. They're they're hungry to do it. And quite frankly, I love the hunger. I don't care if they're a one-year guy or a six-year guy. If they're hungry for the job, let's get them going, man. Let them run. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, um, 
Clint, if uh, if you're still there, man, I, your screen's dark. I don't know if it's just dark in Texas, which I guess is, it's dark <laughs> in Arizona. Covered with oil. So it's uh, yeah, or, or you hit the uh, hit the oil wells there. But Clint was talking about yeah. just uh, uh, challenges in, in getting people to come out because of uh, just how remote the area is, and we've talked about uh, we've talked about cost of living. But Clint, in an agency such as yours, man, are there specialties? <laughs> Uh, you are a master of none and a hat of many. Okay. You wear the hat of many. Um, if if you have a, I, you know, I, in my career, you know, the only difference between what I've done is that at one point in time I was a jailer, so I worked exclusively in the jail. Um, then I went to patrol, and I was, you know. You know, it, it, you catch it, you clean it. Uh, it. If you need help with a murder, uh, call the lieutenant, and he'll call a Texas Ranger. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, oh, you know, you need to go. You need to be in Lubbock, Texas, by 7 a.m. with that body for the autopsy. Uh, and uh, you know, it. <clears throat> so yeah, you, you there is no specialty specialization other than qualifications so like i have i had a guy that he was he was he was a canine guy and he came to us well we haven't been able to to buy him a canine but he he's on the road always looking for dope always looking for dope always looking for dope that's his that's his thing so we let him go do that now mind you that doesn't take away that he may have to work an oil field theft he may have to work uh you know mainly a lot of property crimes where I'm at. Um, but, you know, he's also 911. You know, if I have a crash, I have any type of emergency, any type of medical that we need to help respond to, he's right there with that as well. Um, qualifications for us would be like being a drone operator. Um, we, we, we have a drone. Um, currently, we don't have an operator for it. But... Uh, I have some guys that are interested in doing that. Um, other than that, you know, we, we've had guys that, you know, we've had to track through the desert or track through the oil fields. And so we'll call the prison. The prison will show up with, with their uh, search dogs and horses. And then we're like, okay, who here knows how to ride a horse? Oh, you do? Get on a horse. Um, and, and you get to go with the prison guards and the, and their search dogs and 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 the inmates to uh, go search for this uh, this guy that's running on foot. Um, so how do you guys? So, yeah. How how do you guys recruit uh, for? They, yeah, you, you're a master of everything. How do you recruit for that? Though? Say again. How, as a small agency, what are you doing uh, to to get people <laughs> um, to you? Whenever, whenever, usually right now with my agency, it is literally word of mouth. Mm. Um, it's, Hey, um, do you want to, do you want to polish up your County retirement with working at an agency that's going to start you off at almost a hundred thousand dollars a year? Uh. And in the state of Texas, everybody's like, Oh yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we're going to, yeah, we, I, I want, you know, the last five or six years of my County retirement to be at that rate. You know, I, you know, oh yeah, that's going to make the chunk bigger whenever I finally take, you know, decide to cash it in. 
Our schedule and training opportunities, our educational opportunities, my sheriff's very big on us gaining our our intermediate masterpiece license if we're in college. To place that has um, one gas station, other 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 than you know being paid graciously, having having good equipment and and, and all that. Whenever we look for a guy, um, we we go. We would the last guy. In fact, we shopped around for six months. Uh, between applicants and everybody else because we wanted the right fit for our agency. We wanted the right guy. And whenever I got to read his resume, I said, we got to get this guy. I mean, th- th- this guy, this guy's, this guy's awesome. He, he's, he, <laughs> uh, and, and I, I, I like to say that we've, we've had some, we've had some new breath in my agency uh, and uh, some new leadership that's come in with my other deputies and we, we all work as a unit. We all have different ranks and stuff, but we all work together. You know, it's, there's none of this single stuff, go out and do that or anything like that. So we're, 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 we're not, we're an oddball as far as getting, um, uh, recruiting. One of the things I will mention that, that I have, my aspirations lead much further beyond a five-man agency. Um, one of the things that I talked to several sheriffs about um, at conference, guys that I know that I've met over the, over the years, is I said, why don't we use our schools? We, we, have the, we have these SRO programs where we have uniform officers in these schools and then in, in y'all's instance, and in a lot of y'all's major areas, you have police explorers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or an explorer program. Yep. yep. Well, so like in the city of Abilene, Abilene, Texas, they have a, what's like a career high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, um, so like you can go and learn a trade and get your high school diploma. You, you know, you can almost graduate with your associate's degree and yeah. something and also your high school diploma. Well, I'm like, why are we not taking advantage of that and offering, you know, okay, your senior year of high school, you know, we're going to teach you how to be a communications operator. You know, I'm going to certify you as a jailer. And then when you turn 18 years of age, um, you're going to get a jailer's license. You're going to get a telecommunicator's license. And make that a pipeline for this younger, this younger crowd of kids that, I mean, frankly, they, they don't know how to talk to anybody because everything's behind a screen. Everything's behind, you know, is, is right here, man. If it's not right here, they don't know how to talk to anybody. And, and, and you go back to talking about the first time these guys get into a fight is in the police academy. You have kids that are getting into the police academy. They've never been punched in the face, man. They, they, they've never been in a fight in their life. They, and it's a rude awakening. So I talked to these guys. And I said, we have these explore programs. We have all this stuff. 
why aren't we offering that as an incentive and saying, listen, as soon as you graduate high school and you're 18 years of age, you can come and apply at my sheriff's office as a dispatcher or as a jailer. And you've already got the license. So you, then you would go through whatever process that that agency has. And then, I mean, but it, 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 you know, you're creating a pipeline effect for new and fresh blood into your agency. And, and, it, and it's a certification that these people can take anywhere they go. Um, and, 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 and then they get to decide, is this something that I want to continue with? Is this something I don't want to continue with? And also it's giving, it's giving them a little bit of self-worth of realizing, Hey, I've learned a trade. I mean something now. Somebody's paying me to do this. I'm not going to Taco Bell and making a taco. You know, I, I just I just answered a 911 call and saved somebody's life. Absolutely. You start to make that impact uh, uh, earlier on. And I can't I couldn't agree with you more, man. I mean, we've got my agency has a has a cadet program. Uh, uh, Matt, I think you guys yep. have something going on, right? Yeah. So and and uh, I and will we have the vocational schools. Locally. And you, we've got the vocational schools locally. There's one right down the street from from where I live here. <laughs> Um, and you know, Hey, I will, uh, I will put myself out there. I was a fire explorer. Oh dude. Yeah. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's not here right now. He's taken my bourbon collection and left. Um, but more to that point that provided me with a, with that sense of self-worth that gave me that team environment, uh, that ability, uh, to, to learn and to a point, I mean, we could talk about the negatives of the job all day long. Um, uh, and, and, and Mikey, I'm going to throw, Mike, I'm going to throw some stuff your way here in a second, man. So stand by to stand by, but we can talk about the negatives of the job all day long. But when I was a fire explorer, I learned that, that I had the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than myself. And I actually, you, you hear that phrase without it necessarily being defined or being able to define it yourself because you don't experience that. But I was able to see, first responders firsthand, both police and fire. Uh, it just so happened that I found myself in a police test because I, uh, uh, you know, there were, I got told no a lot. So anyways, move, we'll just move on. We're I heard right. it was because you couldn't cook. Oh, no, and I can't cook. <laughs> mean pot of chili. Uh, yeah, mean pot of chili shit. Adam, you're giving me way too much credit. I make a mean thing of cinnamon toast crunch, bro. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but Clint, I agree with you, man. It gives you that sense of self-worth that... I had an idea not that long ago of, hey, why don't we have a, a greater or a stronger pipeline? Why are we losing our police explorers? And granted, I don't want you to just be a police explorer and then just become a police officer. By all means, you're going to age out of the program, go to college for a couple years. But if you keep your nose clean, literally and figuratively, <laughs> um, and you're able to uh, to come back and you've got that experience already as a police explorer, uh, or hell, you beca you're a police explorer. We had one guy do it, um, and then we've got a police aid program. You're not a sworn peace officer. You have to be 18, not 20 and a 20 and six months at least in Arizona. It may be different other places. Um, you you have to be 18, and as a police aide, you take something like 88 percent of the calls for service. It's basically anything that doesn't require direct intervention on a, of a criminal act. Um, uh, you learn our radio codes. You learn our our uh, computer, uh, our CAD system. Uh, you learn the city, the geography of the city, and it sets you up for success. So why not develop this pipeline of 
if not police explorer to police aide to police officer, police aide to police officer. And granted, we've got some police aides who have come in. They've they've retired from agencies around the va- around not only around the valley but around the country. They want to come in. We're now going to be moving to having police aides in criminal investigations bureaus within the the greater detective bureau to help out with some of the work as well. Um, but I feel like we're we're losing out on an opportunity there to to bring to bring these these younger uh, and I will say kids because they're you know seventeen eighteen years old. Uh, but to bring these younger ones uh, into the fold and really into dare I say into the family and, and, and give them a reason yeah. to know well, that they belong. I was just looking some up. Have y'all been keeping up with Ohio? Because they're trying to pass the minimum age to be a police officer from 21 to 18. Good Lord. They passed their local Senate. So I know there's a whole lot of issues with that, but yeah, that's uh that's interesting. Well, and, and, it, and it, it, it brings about an interesting conversation because you can join the military at 18, right? In, in the States, um, uh, <laughs> Uh, Mike, is it the same in Canada, same 18 years old to join the uh, the Canadian military? So Canadian military, I believe if you have exemption at 17, you can get involved with the actual Canadian forces of CAF. But my understanding is it is 18, uh, full bore, but that 17 exemption, I have heard members in the past uh, going through that way at that age. But if that's, that's young. Uh, within the, I can only speak on the national side as well as I do believe the Canadian standard is still 19 bare minimum to be able to become a law enforcement officer, a peace officer with what we call them here in Canada. You have to make that 19 years of age. Uh, there's probably only one agency across the country that is uh, taking advantage of that. Whether or not that is for the, the better or the worse, whatever it might be, when I call it, I've met fantastic officers that have come through at 19 years of age and developed into basically living their entire lives as peace officers, mm-hmm. as police officers here in Canada. But uh, a lot of the municipal agencies and provincial agencies are actually pulling in people that were a little more experienced, a little bit more mature, have a lot more life experience. That used to be what I went through. That was the big thing is that it was all about, I mean, I got in at 23, first time I went through training. And it was like they kept saying, like, if you wanted to join one of the municipal agencies in Ontario where I come from, the province of Ontario, you ended up having to be at least 30. But now, nationally speaking, given the crunch I know we are in, you guys are also in, this whole looking to the, the lower age is really starting to pile up. And to be honest, I, I'm wary of it. I am very wary of it because we all have seen the younger officers go out there. I trust them. They go through the training. They get the exact same training that I did. But it, like you guys said before, and I know I think it was Clinton who was making the comment there about, you know, these, these kids, they don't know how to talk to anybody, right? We really have that worry that that communication skill is just not yet developed. It doesn't mean they're go- not going to make it to that point, but they're not there yet. We all know that. We all did dumb things as kids. We all had to grow up into those particular types of personalities and skills that make us better officers, make us more aware of the greater you know, it, it kind of go from that uh, narrow tunnel vision into the bigger picture. Can you do that? Can you effectively go as a 19-year-old looking at, let's say, you've got a gun shoved in your face, or if you're trying to, you know, uh, get into, let's say, a pursuit. We're not getting into pursuits anymore for the most part, naturally. <laughs> but if you get into a pursuit, you guys don't can pursue. you at that age? <laughs> wow. Well, we discussed that enough topic of the podcast. But if you Just trying that, to catch up. I wish, God, exactly. There you go. We call it closing the distance. 
Uh, so the whole thing is, is that can you go from that tunnel vision and have the life experience to be able to take that two-second breath? We always talk about that combat breath that opens up that, you know, bigger picture and go, ooh, can I slow down opposed to sitting there at, you know, heart rate of 195 or 200? Do you have that experience? Do I think that an 18-year-old or 17-year-old has that? No, absolutely not. I mean, I can make some more points about, you know, we're talking about the fact that we're overburdening and we're looking at, you know, the, the possibility of going into other positions with special units. But again, if that's something you guys want to talk about, we can talk about that because it is a giant issue here in Canada outside of municipal agencies, but more specifically on the federal side. I think one of the things, too, with the, the youngsters that we're seeing um, – that gap between high school and being eligible to be a cop. So we're focusing on getting them in the jail because one of the big problems we have, um, I don't know if you guys have this in Canada or not, but here in America, what is socially acceptable has been eroded so badly that we have kids that are, are doing things uh, between high school and, and entering the workforce as an adult that is DQing them from ever becoming a cop. So we're really stepping in and trying to keep them on the straight, like, Hey, come work over here so that you don't do any of the stupid shit that is going to keep you from getting this job at, at 20 and six months or 21, if you want to jump into it. And so that's one of our big pushes to get those young to why we lowered the age to come into our jail at, uh, at 19 so that we could grab them right after high school, get them in, keep them kind of safe from making those big mistakes um, and then get them used to the culture, used to the command structure, used to um, confrontation. Cause the jail is a, a very good place to start and learn uh, being a little bit more of a controlled environment than, than out in the open. Yep. Um, and it gives us the opportunity, but I, I mean, a, a sheriff's office has that luxury. A, a PD may not. Yeah. For, for, for like for my agency working in the jail, is it's an overtime gig for for city officers we have jailers that's their function um i'm certainly not opposed to and, and i'm gonna have to look up at least for my agency what the minimum age is for a jailer but i would imagine they're the they're the same it said it was about eight, 19, 18 19 18 19 um i imagine that that we're right along the the same lines there i do like that idea because then they're getting the the experience of the jails, social skills, social yeah. skills, right? Cause one thing that I think we've all encountered, uh, with people who are, who are getting hooked up and, uh, or people who have been in jail is, uh, is that, that ability to create conversation and more importantly, that ability to maintain respect. I, I will tell you right now that I have had more respectful conversations, a two way street with dudes that have the, the teardrop tattoos, Nawa 13 here, here in, uh, in Arizona, or you get over into, into Southern California, um, dudes with gang history, dudes who have murdered, you know, uh, committed murder, uh, than I've had with some soccer moms that I pulled over for running a fucking stop sign. Cause they understand respect. Cause they understand, exactly. They understand respect, but, yeah. but just as importantly, I understand how to communicate mm -hmm. with them and, and to just talk to them like they're another person. Right. Cause that, that's what they are. They're still human. Right. Regardless of what they've done, they're still a human being. Are you going to get that same, uh, you know, that that, that same understanding, uh, societal and cultural understanding from people who are young, significantly young, just coming out of high school? Um, uh, if we if we shove these truly our kids, if we shove them into a, a a marked patrol unit and have them go out and police the streets, I, I don't know that there is a 
a right or wrong answer. There's certainly arguments to be made for for both options. I, that's why I like the idea, as you said, Matt, of that controlled environment of the jail or like my agency with the police aides where, hey, you can you get experience in talking to people. You still have to take, hey, my wallet was stolen from the mall. I don't know who took it. And then you get investigative experience. Hey, you know, I'm police aide so-and-so. I need to get this surveillance footage. And you learn how to maybe write paper for that um, and, and how to you know develop those relationships with your local, uh, your local residents, your local business owners. Um, but do they... Did I have any right at the age of 18 to be in a police car? Looking back with that clarity of 2020 hindsight, absolutely not. Uh, Marketos, one of the uh, one of the comments on uh, on on here on our IG live, uh, uh, Marketos underscore. I think it's five two. My phone's six feet away from me, so give me a sec. <laughs> I was in the back of a police car when I was 18. Well, and, oh. and Marketos, you, you hit the nail on the head, man, saying, hey, I didn't I didn't have any business. I made dumb decisions in at the age of 18 in the military. Right. Um, and, and people do, man. I know people who make stupid decisions. But to be fair, I know sworn peace officers at the age of 30 who have made some really stupid <laughs> fucking decisions. So that's, you know, I think I think we all do. I sat there on a flight to uh, from Phoenix to El Paso, and for the entire all of 50-minute flight, I started going through the people that I know at my agency who no longer work there through, uh, quite frankly, just dumb decisions, right? It's just like one of those, like, come on, man. Um, my agency wouldn't really have a staffing deficit if those people hadn't made some of those, some of those decisions. Um, uh, one of the other elephants in the room though, is uh, uh, we've got about 30 ish minutes left. If I don't put my three-year-old to bed, there's a strong chance I'm not going to wake up tomorrow morning. So yeah, and I uh, have a uh, Hispanic wife and it's Friday night. So yeah, I um, stabbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt doesn't want to get stabbed. I, I, I don't want to wake up uh, uh, with my head sewn to the carpet. Um, not that my wife loves me. I don't think I don't think she do. Oh, well, my wife loves me too. But you know, she's gangster like that. Uh, but another elephant in the room, man. And and Clint's talked about it a little bit. Of hey, do you want to finish out your time making over uh, you know six figures? Um, is this recruiting pool has become a recruiting puddle and it's at the point where we're starting to kind of, uh, I don't want to say steal officers from each other, but we are recruiting. We are the, the official statement. We are recruiting laterals, but the fact of the matter is you get agencies, San Francisco, PD, Austin, PD, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, uh, where these officers are not treated fairly by their command staff. They are not treated with any amount of respect uh, uh, at all by their city councils or, or their, their county boards of supervisors, their political figureheads, if you will. Um, but uh, uh, Mike, I am curious, though, as far as Canada is concerned with a, with uh, what I, I would call it a federal agency. You've corrected me on that before, though, and, and given me a little bit of an education with a national agency is it fairly easy for say somebody from Edmonton or, or Vancouver to come to your agency or is it like, Oh, you've got to go through an, like if I were to leave my agency and go into the federal world, Ugh. vastly different than if I were to leave my agency and go work for Matt, if I were to leave my agency and go work for Matt, I'd basically be given a tan uniform and put into an FTO process and a lot happier. And I, yes, a lot happier. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but if I were to leave my agency to go federal, I'm looking at another 20 ish, 25 week Academy, mm -hmm. At, at you know either the Border Patrol Academy, oh. I think in New, New Mexico, mm -hmm. Fletzy over in Georgia, the FBI Academy in Quantico. What does that look like though uh, uh, up in Canada? Okay, well, I mean, right now, lateral 
entry, what we do is we also call them lateral entries. We call them experienced officers that are coming in from other agencies. Canada's just uh, so polite. You guys have much nicer ways of referring yeah, to people. Yeah. Experienced officers. I love experienced that. Experienced officers. So what, I love that. Eh? So the best thing about it is that the process, you know, I'm not, not on a giant bandwagon for the National Police Force here. I mean, I, I, I'm always cautious when using the name of the agency. I do work for that National Police Agency. It is very different. Everybody thinks that when they hear about the agencies being the National or Federal Police Force in Canada, stuff, what you realize is that if you're unaware of how our agencies work, is that we start at, for the most part, we start at patrol. Now, you could be in a location such as Surrey, uh, British Columbia, where you have a population of, I don't know, where they're almost at a million. So they're at like seven, eight hundred thousand people. And you can be there working in a very large agency. That's considered a very large agent or a detachment within the National Police Force. Or, conversely, you could end up in a spot like I used to work in, which was a two-officer post in the middle of nowhere, hmm. working rural policing with an Indigenous community that you're there, Indigenous reserve, and you could be policing a community of between 2,000. And then the community I had to live in, which we used four housing, had 112 permanent residents. You could go between those two. And on the other side of it, you could go all the way up to federal policing. So for myself, I joined with the agency. I thought I was going into the patrol side of it, but I actually ended up in federal policing, which was an investigative branch back in Ontario. I was like, oh, damn, I'm going to go up to Nunavut, which is our most northern province. Like some people know Northwest Territories, Yukon Territories, and Nunavut are our northern territories. I thought I was going up there. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go fight off polar bears and, you know, <laughs> fight seals. The polar I'm bears and seals outnumber the humans 15 yeah, to 1. Man, I, I, yeah. I was gung ho, man. I was excited about it. I'm like, I'm going to learn how to use a snowmobile. I'm going to go all through the rest of that kind of stuff. Those that I know, well, I could have done that. But in my case, I ended up in federal policing. So I was doing human trafficking, human smuggling, excise investigations, which in the States would be more covered by the ATF because that'd be like tobacco and a lot of tobacco uh, counterfeiting and a lot of the smuggling going on back there, but we would do those types of investigations. It was the, what we used to call the house cat police. It would be the guys wearing the soft shoes or uh, carpet at the bottom of the shoes, walking around with pointy toes, wearing the suits all day long. So when you think about how wide ranging the agency really is, it's very attractive to experienced officers coming from those other places. Because like you guys had said before, especially with Clint down in Texas, is that he has an agency where it's like a landing pad for somebody that wants to spend the last five, 10 years of their career making $120,000, $110,000 a year and just kind of ride it out. When this agency, the National Police Agency here in Canada, we can attract those experienced officers and say, hey, listen, they have more latitude to be able to say you're in a municipal agency right now. So if, let's say, for example, you were the Hamilton City Police or the Toronto City or Toronto Police Service. You can go from those areas and jump over and do a lateral entry into a federal spot and go do the nice office cushy job. But you could also be doing border integrity, which you guys would be seeing your border patrol uh, doing. We also take on that responsibility. So when you think about how unique our agency really is and the different levels of it, it makes it extremely attractive to the people that just want the journey of being able to move across Canada and come over. The process is very, very short in most cases. And a lot of the time, everybody thinks that if you're an experienced officer, back when I went through in 2007, 2008, you had to go to Devil. You had to go to our Regina Training Center that all of the National Police Force recruits and members 
go through. It's not the case anymore. What's happening is, especially if you come to British Columbia, you're going to end up going through our place at PRTC, and then you go over to there, you do like a three or four week integration process within the agency, and then you get pushed out because you're already a police officer. You don't have to worry about you not being able to do the job. We know you've done the job. There's a reason why we brought you in, and you're coming over to do the job for us, and you just happen to throw on the color. You guys know the color without giving the agency name out. But it is very, very, very simple for the most part. And to be honest, what I'm seeing, or say, I keep saying to be honest, to be clear, we are seeing a lot of it. The agency and the office that I work out of right now in Vancouver Island, we're seeing more and more experienced officers come in, especially from military police with the Canadian Armed Forces, as well as the, those municipal agencies. So we see it trickling in, and I'm, I don't see that slowing down anytime soon because we're starting to see people wanting to join and to get the journey and get the experience of, I don't want to live in downtown Toronto anymore. I don't want to get honked at and told that I'm an asshole every single day <laughs> or like five or ten times a day. It's very similar to New York. I would love to go work in a community such as Prince George. I'd love to go work in a place like Saskatoon. Well, you wouldn't be in Saskatoon, but you'd be north of that. I'd love to go work in Nunavut because I thought it would always be cool, but because it was a national police agency, I never thought I had a chance that I didn't speak French. You don't need to have those things anymore. You can just move on over, take the opportunity. And you guys spoke earlier about the young generation should be taking advantage of opportunities when they come to the forefront. That's what we're starting to see. And I'd like to see more of it. But uh, that's kind of where we're at when it comes to laterals. And go ahead. I was just going to say, I want to really work in Letterkenny. Can I go there? (laughs) (laughs) Oddly enough, I love the fact that you guys like Letterkenny. Letterkenny is based on Listowel, Ontario, which actually uh, Jared Kiso is the main actor, producer, director, all the rest of that. He plays, obviously, the main character in Letterkenny. That town that he's from actually was in my police for my jurisdiction of my first post. And it was nice. hilarious because I spent more time there. I started uh. watching it. And I was watching an episode, and I started like shaking. I'm like, "Oh my god, I gotta remember this school." Like, I almost got out of there. You know, I gotta find Jonesy. <laughs> now, I can't Jonesy. I tell you, Shorzy, 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 Shorzy. Yeah. Give your balls a tug, yeah. uh, Adam. I think you've got the <laughs> Adam. I think you've got a little bit of a different, uh, a different. Uh, challenge i will say than the rest of us because where you work at on the east coast there are so many agencies in such a small condensed area you've got major metropolitan agencies uh uh, within a couple hours where if i grew up uh in in your area in in uh in virginia dc maryland area I've got my fucking pick of the litter, bro. I mean, how, how are you guys managing with, with recruiting talent to your agency? Well, so I have a, a, a big point here is, is we're playing, we're paying now the signing bonuses are getting crazy. <laughs> like ours is 15,000 to get in. I saw what somewhere in California, 15,000. Like 15, hey, email 000. me, email me an application. No shit. This is like a draft. <laughs> now. And, and, and I said, and we can have this conversation in five years and, us, as our Canadian friend said, our experienced officers, it's going to become like a free agency. Yeah. And you're just going to hop signing bonus to signing bonus and put it in an IRA yeah. and you'll do better than your pension. Oh yeah. And, but we have no money. We're, we're not doing anything to stay. There's no retention bonus here. And I think, I think that that, that sign on bonus is going to bite us in the ass. Because we're, I'm already seeing it on my side for the people like, oh, 15k, okay, and then they're like, no, what the hell is this job? Peace. 
Yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean, you could just hop, hop around. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think we got to lower that down. And, and like we said earlier in the conversation, paint the job for what it is, show what it is to get in, bring back cops, bring back live PD, and then pay your experience officers to stay. And I think, uh, really you have to dive into your analytics too. So you have to look at your area and I think there's a few agencies in Arizona that do it. Uh, but you look at your area and if you have an outside influx, um, say you, in Pinal County, we have an area that we're getting a lot of people from Virginia. Okay. Where are they coming from and why are they coming? Figure that out. And then let's go there and let's start recruiting them and, because they're already coming and there's familial connections already, obviously, and so uh, we're going to have to start doing that, too, if we have people coming to our areas out of the area and then doing a better job of recruiting the locals at the same time. We've, uh, we've talked about my, my, yeah. my soon-to-be uh, direct sergeant, uh, direct supervisor, and I have talked about uh, ideas for recruiting. And what I've told him, similar to what, what you just addressed, Matt, is that we've got dudes who have come from Illinois, who have come from uh, Washington State, who have come out of California I mean, while I was born in California, I, I only sort of kind of uh, like during the summers grew up there. If I'm going to go do a recruiting event in California or Illinois, it serves me best to take one of those officers with me because they can talk the talk and walk the walk and address the local issues, right? Same with, we've had guys come to us from Chicago PD, okay? Then you're coming with me to a recruiting event in Illinois because you can look a Chicago PD officer directly in the eye, tell them you know exactly how they feel, and then tell them all the good reasons that they should become police officers here in Arizona, specifically at at our agency. Um, uh, and there's there's value in that, but it is I am wary of the fact that it's becoming this dog eat dog police department eat police department role um, where we're we're just sort of robbing each other blind as far as what Adam's talked about with retention bonuses. We see those all over the place. Matt and I here see them in Arizona. Um, they're certainly all over the country. Um, my agency is fortunate enough to, uh, you get a retention bonus at certain years in service. Um, I, I don't rate for one right now, that at least the not that I'm aware of. Um, but it's like your, like your eight year mark, 10, 15, 20, and 25, something along those lines, 16 years, maybe. Um, you do get those retention bonuses because our cities recognize the importance of keeping those experienced and tenured cops around and um, giving them a little bit of a financial incentive uh, is there. But is this a problem that can be solved with money? No, 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 not at all. I think it's uh, no, if you, you can throw money at it, but you're not going to create a good solution. This has to be all intrinsic stuff, right? We have to, we have to find what the intrinsic motivators are, for the people we're getting and we have to, that's where we have to drive it um, because that's what's going to get them in and keep them in. The money's going to get the people that are just coming in, grabbing that money and going like, like he was saying. And so it, it, the money is not a fix. And I think it's going to come back to bite us in the ass too for the recruitment right. stuff. And, the, and if you're an agency that's doing recruitment only um, and not focusing on retention, um, and you're throwing bonuses at recruitment, but not at retention. Then I mean, you're only pissing off your people that Absolutely. have shown loyalty. Yeah, you're, right? you're creating that that very. You're you're adding uh, uh, to the saltiness. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, I could have thought of a much more eloquent way to say that, but I, I didn't. We're not from Canada, dude. <laughs> Mikey, you want you got something? <laughs> well, I mean, to go for it. it. So in this sense, on that point, Matt, as well too, I think a big point of it is, what do we want? Do we want the idealist or do we want the opportunist? 
And in that particular case, once we start looking at these particular type of bonuses and we start looking at these retention, you know, contracts, whatever it is, and bonuses that are out there, where have we gone with the profession? Realistically, where have we gone? We've become a profession of opportunists that would sit there and what's the rather say because they know I have a check coming, opposed to what we really are and what we really should be is a profession of crime fighters and going out there and catching bad guys. I'm a true, uh, I push for this within the young ranks that we have out there within the members within the National Police Force and that. And I continue to say it all across Canada is that we need to continue to bring in not the people that just need the paycheck, but we need those people that are out there. We know they're out there that want to catch bad guys. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. But I think, so you know. Do we think, do we think that paycheck is really going to do it? Do we think that extra big check to 15 grand? Because let's face it, I understand $50,000 for some people is a lot of money, but that $15,000, we all know, runs sure. out pretty damn quick. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I think we're also at a point uh, because I, if you look at policing, it took the 60s and the 70s to create the 80s and the 90s in policing, right? And yep. so I think we're at the same place. We just went through a very 60-ish kind of Absolutely. vibe, right, in policing and, and how it was yeah. feeling for us. Um, and so I think we're coming into a better place. And then I think we're also getting ready if we're not already in a recession, uh, which is also, it's a bad thing to say, but it's going to help our profession. Because government work it's a becomes, job, yeah, yeah it, it becomes very yeah. recession proof and very stable for people, um, and so when we have a, a, a country in that type of situation, I think it's going to do better for us. So I actually think we're in a place where we're going to start gaining ground, and uh, and getting some people back into this profession, and then you know as as I'm at the tail end of mine, as I exit and then I look back. I think in 10 years from now, you're going to have the 90s again. Because the 90s was a great time to police. It was just, it was fantastic. I mean, we were doing real cop work. Uh, it, it just felt good. The The country was in a good spot-ish, you know, and, and I think we're going to get back to that. Sure, sure. Oh, and more to your point, I mean, my dad, my dad was never a police officer, but even he had said he was on a ride along with me. Uh, 2020, I was still on the road. Um, and uh, And he had said, that he hadn't seen anything like this since the 60s because he lived through the 1960s and, and the tumultuous, uh, you know, uh, uh, societal behaviors that were being exhibited in 2020 very closely mirrored that right. of, of the 1960s and the and the various forms of civil unrest. Uh, AZ Gunfighter over on Instagram Live here had, had made a comment about uh, in regards to the retention bonuses that that's why AZ Post, so the Peace Officer Standards and Training uh, Board, why they've just enacted a, a rule uh, that basically says if uh, you leave your agency within three years, the agency that you go to. So if I've only been on for three years and I came from a small agency like Clint size agency and I went to Pinal County Sheriff's Office, PCSO has to pay back my small agency for uh, my basically my training costs, uh, the equipment that was issued to me that can't just be given to the next person, uniforms, boots, things of that nature. Um <laughs> Uh, so AZ post did just enact that, but on that note too, I mean, we come in, I mean, let's take the last, uh, the last five minutes, five, six minutes here. Uh, we talk about the, the intrinsic desire to be a part of something bigger than the, uh, the part, be a part of something, uh, uh, cool and amazing and wonderful and, and be, like I said, that barrel chested crime fighter, right? Um, 
Is that still, when we talk about the intrinsic desi- intrinsic desires within uh, the candidates that we want, I've, I've always thought of it, especially over the last three years, that if you're not willing to become a cop right now when it's tough, I don't want you to sign up when things are good because I don't know that I can count on you. And that's just being real. Uh, but I'm curious as far as... Uh, you know, everybody's, uh, everybody's thought on th- thoughts, uh, on that as well. Don't jump up all at once. <laughs> usually, I'm sorry. No, usually I'm calling I'm on people. I'm just being nice. I'm being Canadian. I'm being Canadian. That's I'm what... being nice. Letting you guys go around. <laughs> Adam, go for I mean, it. My first class I taught to the session, I just, I asked, I was like, how many got into this, this job to be the change you wish to see and all that. And, you know, like 90% of the class raised their hand. I was like, how many of y'all got in this job to lock up bad guys? And I'm like, those are the ones that are going to still be here. Right, right, right. It was, yeah, it was like five or ten. Yeah. And, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, where we're at. Uh, my One of my former supervisors who had supervised my detective bureau, he supervised me on the road as well. He saw me the other day and said, hey, I hear you're leaving sex crimes. And I said, yeah, I think it's just time for me to get out. Um, and uh, and he, he asked me if, you know, is it the right time for you? Uh, and he thought it was. And I said, I got to put some really bad fucking people in prison. I've got, I've gotten an opportunity to make that impact that I think eight year old Kevin would be super proud of. And now it's time to move on to, to something else. But I do struggle with the idea of moving into professional standards. I sit there and go, man, I don't know that I'm going to be a real cop anymore. You know, like, okay, maybe I'll do that for a couple of years. Not. <laughs> well, thank you, Matt. <laughs> Uh, maybe I'll do that for a couple of years, but then I want to get back into being a, being a cop because that's why I got into this job, man, was to, was to lock up bad guys. Getting to pursuits would be cool. I still have yet six and almost seven years into this job to get into a pursuit. Cause that's not, dude, that, that's not authorized. Um, oh no, I take that back. I was in one pursuit, but I never saw the vehicle. I just saw the dust trail. Um, oh, man, you got to come ride with us so you can see what they look like. Well, and uh, and we'll talk offline about some <laughs> about some future plans for the Modern Cop podcast. Um, I certainly would love to get uh, love to get Adam out here, love to get Mike out here, and also to go to them. But we'll uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, hopefully in twenty twenty four. But uh, Clint, man, Clint, it's been a minute since we've heard from you, dude. Uh, I know you you get some spotty reception out where you're at, dude, because you're driving all over hell and creation because that's just the nature of your job. But do you look at the reason you got into the job? Is it is it the same reason that that you stay in the job. You know, I, I'm one of those, I, I'm, I may be a lot like most of y'all, but this is what I was going to do. Whenever I graduated high school, there was no doubt I was going to be in law enforcement. Um, I, I will, I will retire with a gun and a badge period. That's just that's just how I believe in it. I believe in this career. I believe in this profession. This is we we're, we're out doing God's work. We're out doing the betterment of the public, and you know, newscasts and politicians be damned. Um, you know, we we we're still out there doing what I watch on. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I watched some of the old recruiting videos and stuff, and there was there's a there's a recruiting video that Sheriff Dan Blocker of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office put out in the '80s, and he sent it to uh, I Love LA, 
And it was just all these cool action shots of their guys jumping off helicopters and tackling people and dogs biting people and, and all this stuff. You know, that is the police work. That is what I grew up watching on cops as a kid. World's wildest police videos, you know, watching these guys. And as time has gone on, we've all felt the blow of the Ferguson effect. Yep. It really hit us in 14 whenever, uh, uh, whenever Ferguson happened. And then, you know, Obama didn't help it any. And then George Floyd happened. And it was just like, you know, if we could, you know, we're, we're just about to make, you know, we think we're going to make a turn. And then boom, you know, we just get whacked as a profession, as a whole. Yeah. You know, I don't care if you are my agency or you're the NY police, NYPD, you felt it. Yeah, absolutely. Mikey, what about as you, man? Far, as, okay. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, as far as for what for me, honestly, I I still believe in this. This is this is what I signed up to do, and and I think there's still a lot of us out there. And Mikey, is the, the up to you, man? The the reason you became a cop is that the reason you're still doing it? Let me tell you, I wake up every single morning, and it sounds like absolute crap, but I wake up every single morning and I get excited to go out and catch bad guys, help the people that I work with be able to catch bad guys, and at the end. Get my there's one of my colleagues trying to get me on. So <laughs> I, I wake up every single morning trying to do this, thinking about this, wanting to do this. It's what I've always wanted to do. I know that I work with a whole slew of dedicated officers that think the exact same thing. It's what we do. It's what we're born to do. It is a calling. It doesn't matter if you're in the United States. It doesn't matter if you're in Canada, New Zealand, UK, Saudi Arabia, wherever you are. Police work is a calling, and it's what we do. It's what we're born. It is what we do on a day-to-day basis. So let me tell you. Is it the thing that got me into it? Is it keep me going? Absolutely. I chew this stuff all day long. I love the job. I love what it is. And I think uh, the next generation, they're, they're out there too. And I think it's just a matter of finding those people. And I think we are going to see them get into the field. It's just a matter of pressing the right buttons and getting them in the seat. Absolutely. Well said. Adam, down to you, man. Same thing as everybody said, man. I, I, I'd never call out sick. I went five years without calling sick. Generational law enforcement. I was on vacation this week. I came back half a week earlier because I missed work. <laughs> it's, but but it's also like us that that the modern cop, like the people that are here tonight, like it's a different mindset. The people that love this profession and eat it up. Like I'm probably going to get off here and watch YouTube videos. I'm going to text my squad <laughs> and see how they're doing. Like, but we live it up, and yeah, we've got to find those people again because they're still out there. Maybe they don't know that it's in them, but we need to find the gunfighters and the law dogs that are ready to get after it. Blessed are the peacemakers, No matter how hard it gets. Absolutely. Absolutely. Matt, 30 years into your career, man, and you're, you're coming into, to wandering off into the sunset with a a cigar and a glass of bourbon in your hand, 30 years in law enforcement. The the reason you wake up and put the badge on every day, is it the same that you went to the Academy? No. Um, And uh, the difference being for me now is positional. Um, so yes, that core, that core drive is the same, um, it, it, you know, putting bad guys in jail, but obviously as an administrator, I'm not the dude putting guys in jail. So now my, my role has switched. So what drives me now is, uh, in this role is to enable those 
law dogs to get out there and do their job, right? And so uh, that's that's the driving factor behind why I've stayed as long as I, I have. I, I had fun. I loved fighting crime, and I'm the same way. I was it, it, it's, it's who you are, um, and it's who I was every single day. Um, and then as I moved into administration, because you really aren't a cop anymore. I mean, if there's any... Uh, other than than Clint here, um, you know, most of us in, in administration are are removed from the street for the most part. And uh, so our job is to support those who are doing the job. And so that's what drives me now. But at the core, yes, it's 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 the good, the evil, uh, because if I have to, I'll strap up and let's go, you know. Right. Right. And, and again, we talk about uh, leadership. And I'm very thankful to have to have everybody on today, but, but Matt for coming up, uh, again, to give us that, that view, man, 30 years in law enforcement and you are in the administrative capacity. Right. Um, uh, you remain one of the few administrators that I've had on this, on this show. Um, and not, not for any particular reason, you were gracious enough to come on here. What was it? Almost two years ago now, yeah, or, or something along those lines. Um, I, I will say as far as my own personal opinion, I, I went this morning, I went into work early. We served a search warrant at eight and at about 11, um, we were done with the cert. It was a, we were assisting our ICAC unit. Um, and I was in the locker room, put my uniform on and I looked in the mirror and I had a little bit of imposter syndrome, uh, because <laughs> even still to this day, almost seven years in, I was 25 when I got hired, man, I'm, I'm going to be 33 this year. Ooh. Um, uh, you know, seven, eight years into this job, man, I, I still sometimes can't fucking believe that, like that I do this work, you know, uh, again, eight year old me, uh, I, I try to remind myself when I have those rough days, I try to remind myself that eight year old me, uh, would be super proud of where I'm, where I'm at today. And I think that goes for all of us. And, and, uh, I, I want to thank each and every one of you for coming on this show. Those of you that have, that have tuned in, uh, uh, to, to check us out. And those of you that are listening on this podcast episode that will be dropping, uh, in a few days, um, we, we're all aware, I think of, of some of the negatives, right? I mean, we've all buried friends. We've all had, People spit on us, kick, bite, scratch, punch. You know, people have been been super nasty to us. But I think we've all given a sticker to a kid. You know, uh, we've all put a kid in, in, you know, maybe keep your plate carrier. I used to keep my plate carrier in the back of the car, man, uh, before we were issued plate carriers. And this little kid wanted to put it on. And that was the, probably one of the coolest days, right? Core memory unlocked, if you will. Uh, one of the coolest days I had on patrol was this kid, like six, seven years old, who just, he put that plate carrier on, man, and he want, he wanted that. Like, that was the... I, I may very well see that kid when I'm in Matt's position, right? Um, and I think we're all here that, you know, they tell you to, hey, make sure you have a little, some separation of your job. By all means, use your PTO, right? That's what it's there for. Use your time off. Use your vacation. Don't forget about your family. Spend time with them. Um, but there's there's nothing wrong with loving this job, right? I'm reminded of that scene in, in uh, was it Jarhead, where... Um, where, where Jamie Foxx looks over at, uh, at Jake Gyllenhaal and just says that I love this job. And I think there's, there's something to, uh, to, to be said, uh, for that as well. So again, Matt, thank you for coming up. Yeah. Uh, Matt and I were going to be squeezed in here with a few other people. Uh, they both ended up, one of them got stuck at work. One of them had got called in to, to work on her, uh, uh due to her on-call schedule. Um, there were a few other people set to join us. I think we'll do this again at some point in time in the future. I've had a blast. I appreciate the hell out of each and every one of you coming on. I'll try and get some of my friends from across the pond to, uh, to jump on as well, uh, to give us that, that additional global perspective. Uh, though I think as Mike has said that despite it being a, a different country, uh, I think the, uh, uh, the, the heart of it is, is going to be, 
much the same. Matt's just going to check our comments real quick if there's anything we need to uh, to address uh, real fast. It's, it's all good. Those those people that are giving me a shout out, I want to say, hey, appreciate all of you. And uh, and on that note, uh, 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 gentlemen on, on Instagram Live, thank you for, for coming on. Matt, uh, I want to give you the opportunity here. You you were one of the first people to come on this show. As I've said, one of the only uh, administrators to come on this show. I've got your book uh, here. I want you to give the elevator pitch, man, get you some book sales, oh, yeah, get you into man. that New York Times number one best-selling oh, uh, slot. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so the book is just, uh, I, I kind of highlight uh, a part of my career where we were in a just one hell of a fight against the Sinaloa cartel in our county. Uh, the fight's still going on. Uh, but this was just a cool part of my career where we were doing some very unique operations out in the open deserts that were more like military movements. And so the book kind of lines out how I grew up, where I grew up, um, so that it establishes kind of who I am. And then I go into the structure of the cartels, how they operate, some of their religious beliefs, and then into the operations themselves. And so, yeah, man, if you're into that, there it is. It's Interceptors. You can get it on all the book platforms, and you can also uh, go to my website, onetimenation, all one word, dot com. And uh, Adam's got a book club as well. If you follow uh, yeah. follow along to uh, Adam there, Deputy Dangerous, uh, get in on his book club. I, I do. Uh, I love the hell out of what you've done with your book club, man, and how it's grown on you and uh, and For getting sure. people to, uh, to, to develop their minds as well. We talk about how important it is to develop the body, uh, but, ju- but just as, as important to, uh, to develop the minds. Clint from Texas giving us that u- super unique perspective, man, of being there's that super small agency, least populous county in the nation and all. But then you get the 10,000 oil field workers uh, uh, that, that come in uh, as well. Um, and uh, and Mikey, my good buddy up in the north. Mike and I are and Adam. Adam's going to come on the show eventually. I've got to get him a Southwest ticket out to Arizona, except I don't know that Southwest flies into his airport. So I've probably got to put him on American Airlines first class all the way. Get him out there here. Uh, uh, Mike and I have talked about getting on each other's shows and uh, get up. I need to get up to Canada there and break donut uh, with Mikey. Um, Maybe on, syrup, eh? on, uh, on his show as well. Uh, um, uh, but, uh, gentlemen, thank you all so very much for coming on the show. Yeah, we will, we will do this again to those of you listening. Sorry, low power mode on the phone there. <laughs> uh, I got to give a shout out to one of my homicide detectives because I've never once said this on my show. I'll see you on the flip side. You know who you are. That one's for you. Everybody else stay safe and I'll see you on the road. Stay safe, fellas. Thank you. You guys be safe, y'all. Sure.